Hi, my name's James Fowl, and this is the Huxley Morton Podcast. I hope you're enjoying Series 3 so far, and before we jump back in for another episode, I'd love it if you could like, subscribe, and hit that notification button, as it really helps us to increase our reach. We run the show to both help and inspire those working in clinical research, so if there's anyone else that you think would benefit from tuning in, please spread the word. For now, though, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Huxley Morton Podcast, the show where each week we speak to pharma company owners and industry leaders who have given up some of their time time to share both their personal and professional journeys. This week, we're joined by pharma provocateur uh, and CEO of Inpatient Health, Mr. Paul Sims. I've also got on board Adam Walker, biometrics consultant, joining me as, as a co-host. Um, I've been looking forward to this one, guys. Um, so look, uh, Paul, I've given you a bit of an intro there, uh, and we were just talking off air how I've not been able to almost avoid you during my time in, in the world of, of working in, in pharma recruitment. Adam, however, hasn't come across you on LinkedIn, which is, I find, hard to believe. So who is the, who is the man behind Pharma Provocateur? <laughs> really, I'm some kind of stalker, aren't I, James? And I've clearly been following you around and I've yet to get on to Adam. But um, the day <laughs> job is um, I'm in charge of Inpatient Health, which is an organisation I started up um, uh, at the end of last year, in the end of 2020. Mm. Um, most people recognize me from my time in charge of a company called IFA Pharma, which was then bought by Reuters in October 2019. Mm -hmm. um, and in that role, we kind of um, started from scratch and built up to what I think was probably the largest and most influential of all of the pharma events um and conferences um so lots of people obviously know me from just being a part of those uh -huh. uh, and I guess I'm very lucky I consider myself very lucky to have been able to get you know form friendships and relationships with the sort of top table of our industry which of course as we've moved into the pandemic has become a pretty important uh, industry for the world really having to save the world I would <laughs> uh, say and um <clears throat> really um what I'm doing now is just a chance to sort of roll up my sleeves. I feel like I've been talking for so long about innovation of disruption of the various different uh, things that our industry needs to do, the evolution and the unfulfilled potential that we still have. Mm. Um, and I just wanted to get my hands dirty. I'm, I'm a natural doer, builder of things. And, you know, I wanted to just get out there and work with genuinely interesting companies doing genuinely um, needle moving stuff in, in, in healthcare. And that's not everybody. I mean, a lot of people um, kind of sit in, in this industry and unfortunately sort of treat it as a very safe place to ride out a career. Um, uh, there are, however, some people who are absolutely determined to do whatever it takes to bring better health to the world. Mm. And, you know, being able to work, choose who I work with and work with those people on different projects is really quite fantastic. If there's any issue in my life, it's the lack of sleep. And uh, I've got zero kind of economy of scale. Everything that I'm working on is quite different from everything else. So big variety, lots of fun, totally kind of random though, and um, probably pulls me in far too many directions all at the same time. Wow. Well, it's certainly from, from my side, one, one of the things you mentioned there was, was the innovation. And this is, I think, what really has drew me to your profile when when seeing some of your posts through LinkedIn in the past they were just so out there you know kind of I, I just it was I was finding it hard to get my head around what what you do so in terms of look, understand the background working for events Reuters um, and that's how you know you're you're well connected networked uh, within the industry inpatient health what where does the innovation come in what what is the, the sole purpose what are you guys trying to achieve as a, as, as a business? Well, I do probably spend about 20% of my time trying to be the pharma provocateur, as we've just described it, um, because mm -hmm. I find that most of the information um, that's given by companies in our industry is some form of content marketing or, or, or PR. Yeah. And I just think that um, there's far too much of that in, in our industry. There's not enough sort of neutral and independent comment. Uh, I would even say there's a dearth of good journalism in our, in our uh, sector. I think there's a couple of people who are shining the light, but, but you know, probably 80% of it, even 90% is, is really not that great. Yeah. Uh, so I very much um, describe myself as an independent. And I do that because firstly, that's a value in itself. But secondly, you know, I'm here 
to genuinely drive the conversation forward. And if that means that in the course of making an omelet, I'm going to break a few eggs, I am very happy to do that. In fact, I don't think I'm doing it properly unless I break a few eggs. Uh, and, uh, and I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll win a lot more than I lose by being as provocative because the key thing is it's not important to be right all the time. It's important often to just be able to have the conversation. And if you don't kind of throw out a few ideas and a few challenges, you're never even going to get to that quality of conversation. So I think it's absolutely really important. And this is where I think I differ from most people who who worried about their image, worried about whether they're saying the right thing or not. I'm not here to be right. One of the main things I do is I produce predictions. By definition, most of them will be wrong, <laughs> right? But just by throwing them out there, getting us to think about the future. Whenever we write a business plan, we're kind of imagining, a, a, we have a vision of what we're trying to create. And so yeah. producing predictions and throwing out ideas is essential to being able to put together good plans, good ideas of what to aim for. And right now, if there's anything we need, we need in our very uncertain environment that's, that's happening post-pandemic, it's, it's having uh, strong um, and experimental uh, visions that, that can actually drive ourselves forward. Now is the chance to experiment in many ways. Can I, can I just jump in on that? You, you raised a couple of really interesting points there, Paul, and thank you for explaining that. Um, I'm just wondering how you actually monetize that, because in principle, that sounds great. In other words, you challenge the status quo, you do something different, and you want to be shot down, as far as I understand it. How do you turn that into a commercial offering, and how do you monetize it? Ironically, the more I do it, the better my sort of commercial uh, side of things goes, which, which might surprise you. It's not a direct thing, but people recognize that I'm not here to pay lip service to stuff. So I'm, I've, I've gained a reputation for um, being the person you might go to if you are looking to do something disruptive and you're looking to really okay. not just you know do it for real. Mm. So I find that the more I talk, the more sort of just inbound inquiries I'm, I'm getting from for, for my business, which effectively is a consultancy or a think tank somewhere in between the two. Yep. Uh, uh, if you want to sort of summarize it in a single sentence. Um, yeah. But the point is that, you know, if you need a, a new CRM system or something like that, then there are thousands of people you should go to before you come and talk to me. If you want to create something new that has no CRM system or that is, is trying something for the first time, that's where I can help because um, the other side of me uh, and what I'm doing is I'm trying to bring something to our industry that I call speculative design, or should I say quite a few people call it speculative design. This is a a fairly new discipline to to well it's a new discipline to many uh many parts of um the world but um it's really about uh not just you know we, we talk so much about agility and design thinking and all of those things are great once you've figured out what what the problem is and what the solution could look like yeah. and it's all about going forward at a, in a kind of hacker style move fast break things try stuff see what works let the market decide all good Speculative design is about sort of looking in the other direction before starting that process and actually working out what the problem is. Uh, Einstein said that uh, when, if he had an hour to solve a problem, he'd spend nine, uh, 55 minutes of, of it thinking about the, the problem itself and only five minutes thinking about the solution. And I think just sort of taking time to consider a wider range of possibilities as a starting point and sort of being less vanilla in how we go about things and doing, th you know, there's an entire framework basically around being a bit more creative in uh, understanding the problem and therefore understanding what solution could transpire mm. that I'm trying to bring to our industry. So when I say now is the age of experimentation, I really am sort of putting my money where my mouth is on that because I am basically building a framework for pharma to be more experimental mm. without going into the realms of fantasy or science fiction but being a lot more creative about solving some of the issues ahead of us. So to that point, I've just, I've just made a couple of notes as you were saying that. So you're not, you're not talking about throwing ideas out on a whiteboard and just there's no bad ideas. Is it, is it really, or, or is it that? Is, is it throwing <laughs> everything on the whiteboard and just saying, how do we piece together these disparate parts and make some sense of it? There's no bad ideas, just throw it all up on the wall. Uh, well, I mean, that's obviously the brainstorming 101 and, and, and obviously brainstorms are a part of most design processes and, and I would encourage them. 
But I think that even before you get to the whiteboard, ask yourself what's going to help you come up with better ideas for that whiteboard. What exposure have you given yourself? What you know, new disciplines have you given yourself? What type of uh, sort of out of the box thinking have you given yourself that's then going to allow you to come up with more creative ideas once you hit that whiteboard session? Uh, even within pharma companies, I think that um, a lot of whiteboards are likely filled with lots of um, quite you know uh, ideas that have been pursued before and with uh, lots of crossed out ideas of, oh, we can't do that because regulatory environments don't allow it or, or whatever it is. Yeah. I find that the biggest issue with pharma is it's just very blinkered. Take um, preventative medicine, for an example. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry generally assumes that preventative medicine outside of vaccines, of course, is a very difficult thing to do because when you think about making a drug and a clinical trial and approval processes, they don't actually fit very well with the whole idea of not getting a disease and being able to prove that. Yeah. Whereas when you go to the technology industry and all of the Apples, Googles and et cetera of the world, they see preventative medicine as a huge market opportunity. In fact, they're building their futures in many cases, certainly Apple and Google, uh, around this idea of wellness, healthiness and stopping yourself getting ill in the first place. Mm. So depending on where you sit, you have a completely different approach to the problem. Uh, pharma can only see it's one one way of you know it can only uh, see everything as a as a nail because it's 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 a hammer uh, and uh, and I think that's a, a real shame because we all know that health creating health in the world is a multidisciplinary and very holistic activity uh, and if pharma describes itself as patient centric or any of these these words then really it should be a little bit more imaginative in building that full suite of possibilities around patients and even non-patients so um yeah we need to take I, the blinkers off I'm, I'm smiling i'm smiling because of the regulations because i that i've had them so deeply inbred in me in the last 25 years working in this industry and exactly what you're talking about it's that reluctance to change but as much as working within a very tight framework whatever those regulations might be ich gcp as yeah. defined by whichever you know whichever regulatory agency you want to talk about fda mhra ema it's 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 how do we work within that very close framework sorry james you had a point you wanted to make I, um, what i was thinking aside from the, the science and pharma side of things that you guys are much more embedded in than perhaps myself um as a recruiter i was thinking about you personally when you were explaining all of this um and i guess where this mentality and i guess sort of air of confidence has, has come from with regards to you know your acceptance to, to being shut down um, and not having everyone like you and working with just a handful of, of clients. So what what's what the is it about you? What's, you know what what's your what's your background? You know in terms of your personal life that has prepared you for that because I think mindset is a big thing. And Adam and I have had several conversations with um, other individuals recently, and yeah, it, it's huge. And mental yeah. health is huge. Whereas you're kind of almost you're opening yourself up and saying, look, guys, this is me. Here's my out, you know, out of the, the box, crazy ideas, like it or lump it. Um, but if you like it, let's talk. Where's, where's that kind of, where's, not, where's that? Kind of you, it's not natural. It's not natural. It's not something that came easily. I was never the guy to stand up um, when I was younger and sort of take a stand. I've got no plans to enter politics and sort of uh, throw myself over to the red or the blue corner and pin myself to the to, to one or the other. Mm. I'm probably a bit of a raging moderate, if, uh, if, if anything. Um, I think it's come from two things, probably. First one is utter boredom. <laughs> um, I sat there for 17 years running the these conferences, and conferences are obviously a place where the majority of people go there to sound, sound clever, but not to say too much so that they don't get fired by the compliance departments or, or whatever it is. So you get a lot of you get a lot of seven out of 10, eight out of 10 content. And unfortunately, in an information overload world, seven out of 10 ain't good enough anymore. Uh, you to stand out and be brilliant, you, you, you actually have to hit the, the nines and the tens. And so an utter boredom uh, and a sort of gradual realization that I could do probably a better job than, than many of the people going on stage, not because they weren't capable. I find that on a one-to-one -one private conversation basis, 
people in our industry are actually pretty imaginative in many cases. It's just the sort of group thing that kills them. Mm. So there's a combination of that. And then also, I think I've got a couple of role models um, from not within pharma. I tend to get most excited. I was, you know, like many of us, I sort of came into the industry by accident, but I've kind of retained my love of um, design, which was actually my sort of first sort of passion, I guess, from a, from a, from a work point of view. Uh, and I, I grew up in this kind of dot-com era. So I was born in 1980. Uh, so I was about sort of 1920 when the dot-com era started to really hit and I just saw this kind of boldness of, of entrepreneurial mindset and I ever since then really I suppose I've been very aligned to people who are willing to do what it takes and, and bust the the status quo in the world of business nice. these are the people that I listen to on podcasts that I read articles of every single day of my life mm. so when I go out there being a provocateur I feel pretty lame. I feel pretty pathetic. I feel pretty uh, docile in comparison to the people that I'm listening to and hearing about. And so, again, I think it's that sort of context that you give yourself if you just work in our industry, even without trying, your subconscious mind will push you in a certain way. And, um, you know, uh, I'm not saying that my way is always the best way. There are many details within our industry that I should understand better than I do. Um, but it certainly gives me the boldness um, to suggest that there could be alternatives, put it that way. Fair play, fair play. And look, I, I guess with that in mind then, because as you say, you probably, in a way, by your, your, your audience and your client base, perhaps self-filters because of that mentality. Um, but what type of... I don't want everyone in a pharma company to love me or know me or talk to me. I only need 2% and the, the, those, the, those, those are the ones I'm happy to work with. So the guys, the guys that 2% or whatever percent it is, what mm. sort of problems and challenges are they coming to you with? Uh, good question. Um, often it's, um, Paul, we kind of need to rethink this whole thing because we've tried, we've thrown lots of stuff at the wall. None of it has stuck. Or we need to make a 50%, a 60 70% change in our performance on X, uh, or we need to make a 50, 60, 70% budget cut on X. We, we basically need more of a reimagining than a re-engineering. Uh, again, there are plenty of people that you would go to before you went to me if you're looking at you know, incremental but safe growth, right? If you want a guaranteed 10% a year, uh, then you know, go and talk to McKinsey or, or, or one of the, that ilk. If you want a slightly riskier, perhaps, but chance at getting 50% a year, then use the processes that I'm talking about, the speculative design type, type, of, uh, type of affair that's going to um, potentially bring a much better. But at least, you know, I'm producing a process around it. So I'm not just sort of being a total cavalier here. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying, I'm, 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 you know, you've still got the stabilizers on, but we are going down the steep, uh, the steep mountain. <laughs> and can, you, can you back that up with, with actual actual numbers, actual demonstrable, demonstrable Probably not at this outcomes. stage, if I'm completely honest with you. I mean, it's probably seven or eight months since I've started this, but I have got more than 20 clients in that time. So yeah. without ever trying to get a client. So, so that's just with all, all with approaches coming to me. So nice. there's certainly desire. There's certainly the, the natural desire, I think, of a few people to genuinely try something new and try something different within our industry. Uh, and uh, the more I'm just sort of known as a as a as a place to be that person to 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 to, to gather that kind of um, even just the thinking. Um, a lot of people are actually asking me to do simple research projects. You know, find out what the hell's going on, finding out find out what's possible. Um, you know, that's a very sort of simple entry point for for a lot of people. So I've been doing a lot of that work in the uh, last six months. So yeah, discovery is a is a huge part of it, and then frustration with the status quo is probably another big driver and as we said i think there is enormous inertia within the pharma industry within pharma biotech and every supportive service around that it's, it's inertia it's people sitting in comfy seats i'm yeah. also not one of those people that sits in comfy seats and <laughs> similar to you i think uh, as a consultant that that um, broadly covers many different aspects of of servicing cro's pharma and biotech it's that agility that you describe and speak to that I think resonates so loudly with me as well, because there are so many people out there within within the industry that 
that are quite happy to just take their paycheck. You know, I'm hearing hearing this from you, and I hear this from people almost every day. Yeah, it's just when they get there collectively, they become worried about you know standing out. Basically, um, yeah. they worry about upsetting somebody, and I often describe it as. Um, in order to be innovative, you actually have to imagine, imagine you're on the top of a mountain, you've spent your whole life climbing that mountain, you've optimized your organization to get to that pinnacle, then you realize you want to be on a different mountain. Well, the truth is that even if you've got long legs like I do, you can't just take a step from one mountain to another, right? You actually have to come down the mountain first, you have to unlearn, you have to do the opposite from what you've been doing before. That's the hardest bit. It's very easy to like, look upwards at another mountain peak and say, I want to get there. But do you want to destroy the work that you've been doing? Do you want the creative destruction? Do you want the unlearning, the embarrassment of doing something that's counterintuitive? That's where we are hugely failing. Happy to sort of talk about it on a one-to-one basis, even do it on a one-to-one basis, but do it in front of your boss, do it in front of your peer, do it in front of your family who are going to be really uh, put out if you lose your job, (laughs) right? I have, by the way, lost my yeah. job several okay, well, times, well, and, and that's what drove me. <laughs> that's that's what drove me to the disruptive mindset. It was right. what have I got to what have I got to do to do differently right. to traverse this challenge and to not effectively reinvent myself, but it, but effectively ensure that I have my boundaries that I can determine. But also, to to your point, you know take the lead from an industry that has given me so much and yet has restricted me so much. Yeah. And it's about crossing those boundaries. As you described, you know, 20, 20 clients in, in less than a year is quite extraordinary. You're putting out something very positive that's coming back to you in, in spades, but at the same time, you have your principles and your principles are clearly driving the work that you're engaging with, the people that you're identifying with who may think, you know, to, to some, you may be a Marmite character. I'm, I really, this really resonates because from the Marmite, you know, you get the people that love you, but similarly, I don't, I don't need to be everyone's best friend either. Same, same as you, by the sounds of it, you're quite happy to engage with people who want to engage with you. They don't, that's yeah, fine. I, I, I'm really glad to hear you say this. I'm, um, but actually, Adam, I actually think it's kind of a natural process. We all talk about kind of the old eccentric village, you know, village weirdo right? So it's almost a sort of product of age. When you're a teenager, you actually care a lot about what everybody thinks and you want to fit in. Yep. And as you get older, you, you, you get there. And I'm not going to say I'm more mature than anyone else, but perhaps you and I have um, almost uh, removed the shackles a little bit earlier than we, we, we should have. And we're happy to be the, the eccentric um, in the village that, that, that goes, you know, goes their own way. And who knows, you know, we need people like James to get us a job if we, uh, if we go completely off the wagon. Well, this is, this is where the interesting connection is, you see, because James has clearly identified you as someone, someone who stands out. He also came and found me. We're all having a similar conversation. Yeah. We're having similar conversations all the time. And, and the point behind the podcast as much is to really understand and get under the skin of the changers, the movers, the disruptors, what is it that makes them different? You know, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? What's your passion? What's, what's that thing that makes you, you, because that's really what we're trying to understand here is how do you become that individual that stands out from the crowd? Cause we can all be part of the crowd quite happily. And many people are, but I think what, what we're describing and what you're talking to is really yeah. the differentiator for you, the principles that drive it from your point of view. And also I think that you know individually how we how we connect as 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 a collective as well yeah. what's interesting guys I, I guess you know before starting sort of Huxley Morton and, and my business I was at a company and I I wasn't the same as all the other recruiters there I stood out probably like a, a sore thumb because I did things my own way probably I was a nightmare to manage but I performed well and my way worked not everyone liked it it wasn't for everyone so I'm kind of almost in the same boat as you guys and I think that that perhaps is what uh, resonates to me. When I look at people's profiles, I look for someone that stands out Mm. and I look to build relationships. I look to network. Um, So it's funny how you guys have both fallen into, uh, I guess, my um, sort of grasp, you know, over the last 18 months. Um, But Paul, 18 or or 18 to 20 clients in, in that amount of time period is, that's fantastic. All inbound stuff. So, as we've said, you know, you're clearly doing something right. Tell us 
I guess Funny, I've never really stood, stood back and thought about it, but uh, I appreciate you saying any, that. Any, any business owner, whether it's recruitment, you know, biometrics as, as a consultant, any a freelancer or an entrepreneur starting a business would absolutely jump at that. Mm. Um, the know, funny thing is, because I've been bootstrapping, I started it with zero in the bank, basically. Uh, and so to me, it feels like it's been going really slowly because I haven't been able to hire, you know, as many staff as I would love to have been able to hire. I'm literally having to sort of take it a step-by-step process. Probably a good reason why I'm not getting much sleep at the moment, just doing all the work myself. <laughs> uh, but, um, well, a lot of the work myself. I do actually have a, a few fantastic uh, um, employees around me now. But um, mm. it is, yeah, to me, it feels too slow. I feel like I've this pandemic moment of, um, you know, the time is now to experiment and to actually get on with this kind of stuff. Mm. You know, how much longer is it going to last? I don't know. I, I, I personally feel very impatient, excuse the pun. Um, but uh, that, that, that's something I really feel like I've got to, got to get right. Um, and by the way, on your earlier point, James, I think the very fact you're doing a podcast is, uh, you know, putting, setting you apart from other recruiters. Yeah, most I'm, I've made that point to him before as well. And that's yeah, why most I, recruiters don't want to know anything about the industry. No. They're just there to sort of make a transaction and then get on with it. Uh, and I think uh, that that in itself is is certainly one reason why I'm very happy to be here today and just be with you. Um, and, <laughs> that was my motto previously. You know, I, I guess it's my clients that pay the bills. But when I was at my old company, I realized that it was the, the job seekers and, and my network that made me who I was. So I'd, I sucked for six months. I did next to no business. And then seven months, seven, eight, nine, I just went to the top of the company and stayed there for, for three years and, you know, without billing people that had teams of, of six resources for them because all I invested in was just my network. And I, I'm doing the same thing on, on the pharmaceutical side of things now. And it's, I, I just believe that what you put out, and Adam and I talk about this a lot, comes back. Uh, Me too. Yeah. And but I think that's, that's going to happen with you. you. You think it seems slow. I've done the same when I started my business. And I, again, six months in, I was thinking, uh-oh, need to pay the mortgage. And, you know, there's <laughs> there's going to be letters coming through, etc. But eventually, it just, it all turned good. And there's a season to sow, and there's a season to reap. And, I, you know, your season will, will certainly come. But... Any outsider looking at, at you and your business would think it's been going two minutes. <laughs> you know, it's kind yeah, of it's, you've, not, you've, you've not even scratched the surface. And I know I think we've got a mutual connection in um, Mike uh, at Idea Pharma. Mike Ray, yeah, yeah, uh, and and I, I know that his business kind of it was himself almost as a family business for a long time, and then it's just it, it exploded. Um, mm. And it's because if you just, yeah, have some integrity, do what you know is, is right, eventually it will just all come good. I, well, I'm listening. Uh, I didn't come here for the pep talk, but I'm very glad to have got one. <laughs> I, <should keep> <laughs> I, I also listen to a lot of podcasts, Paul, and, and James and I regularly talk about some of the podcasts that we both enjoy. And, and I think it's that personal insight that you gain from other people's successes and failures that really can drive and define the decisions that you then ultimately make, because we're not born with wisdom. We have to gain it from somewhere. And if it doesn't come from your parents and the people immediately around you, there has never been an easier time to learn from other people's mistakes and successes. And, and if you're willing to learn, as you said, you know, keep learning, keep learning, keep doing the right things, keep doing the things that on principle are the best things that you believe in. They absolutely reap, reap rewards. And I, I tell you, you, you resonate so, so strongly with me because I did a, a, a recent review funnily enough with my accountant and we were looking back, we were looking back at the year and I had no idea how many clients I'd also worked with. And it was far more than I'd actually thought because there was effectively what I thought was a one-on-one -on -one, um, engagement. It, it turns out it's more of a portfolio career. And what you're describing is a portfolio career. That's what most people would aspire to if they're running a business. Now, whether it's you as an individual or a team of people behind you, you need, you need to ride out those waves and the peaks and troughs. So, you have to have a portfolio of clients that you can go back to. But beyond that, you know, you're not even knocking on the doors and you're managing to do that. So that should speak to it? the point. It's, it's, it's I, really I, staggering. I find that, 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 that incredible. So, you know, for me, that, that's great. But look, what are, the, what are the biggest challenges that you have faced? So, you know, for me, business, you know, how, how's business going? And what are the biggest challenges you faced along the way? And what, what has that 
taught you about yourself. Right. Well, I've already mentioned learning and, and relearning and, you know, what's what, what how's that gone for you? Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of things on um, on a sort of personal and tactical level. I'm uh, you probably discovered this already. I'm not a natural delegator, and that is really holding me back. I've even got a situation where I've hired staff and I'm not giving them the work to do. Um, <laughs> bonkers, frankly. And um, you know, there's always that mentality of um, do it yourself uh, and get it done right, um, which obviously is a disastrous uh, policy uh, because it's often not even true uh, and people can astound you when you give them the trust and the freedom to actually go about things and they can do a job much better than you ever could um, uh, you know you're halfway through a difficult big job in the middle of working with a client and you want to sort of see it through you, you know you get this kind of railroad mentality which I think is um, very very dangerous and um, I am in danger of you know I'm endangering my own health by not sort of um, uh, delegating properly and, and and obviously things fall through cracks balls get dropped and uh, no matter how hard you try you, you can't do everything you're not superhuman right so uh, so that's a very big thing um, from a kind of more uh, strategic point of view I think that um, I need to sort of find a, a way still of being able to um, capture uh, almost sort of well there's two things I need to sort of be able to tell the world what I'm doing which I kind of feel like I, I hate sort of advertising myself it's one of the uh, one of the reasons why I guess I am uh, more predisposed to sort of doing a, a more kind of um disruptive type uh, commentary when I do speak um so I'm you know terrible at self self um self self sell, selling anything <laughs> frankly well, uh, I mean if you were looking for a job in this sort of space, I would be able to sell you in an instant, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's very kind of you. Uh, um, I'll let you know. Um, <laughs> but um, no, the truth is that I, I, I find it very difficult to establish um, a positioning within the industry. And, and yes, people are coming to me, um, but they it's almost sort of accidental. I feel like I need to generate a, a, a people still know me as an event organizer, I think. Uh, and uh, to, to be able to establish that within with industry is very key. And then to be able to have the sort of um, way of systematically growing um, in the right kind of um, direction, I think is something I still very much have to figure out. So there's definitely a few challenges I have yet to overcome. Um, and, um, you know, it's, I feel like I'm making progress. I'm doing a lot of trial and error, which is the best way of learning, um, and uh, managed to you know keep keep everyone happy pretty much. But you know, I'm not saying it's been plain sailing. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least you're, you're kind of aware of these things, though, though, Paul. I, I think there's so many other uh, people that I speak to. Sometimes it's, it's the business leader, and I'm talking to them about recruitment, and I can maybe see the cracks as to why there's um, you know turnover in a business. Right. They may not because it's sometimes it's them. Um, <laughs> Are you honest with them though? Do you do you tell them? I mean, that's an interesting question as well because <laughs> I do. some clients will respect you more for for, for that. I, um, I, I do, and I think sometimes sometimes it's it shot me in the foot. But mm -hmm. I think that's again why I, I left my old business as as kind of the top producer and decided I wanted to go on on my own because. Mm. I didn't want to have to put up with any red tape bullshit, to be honest. That was, mm. that, that it, did, it didn't suit me. The, the organization got big and I was, you know, they were trying to tie me in with, you know, equity schemes and things. It just drove me out the door more and more. Um, so that's, you know, one thing that I, I'll, I'll happily just walk away from things uh, these days. It's, it's just not worth the aggravation. Um, so I think, you know, that's good that you're able to, you know, be aware of that so what's what's the plans for, for you guys at inpatient um moving forward how many of you is there in the team now how many are you going to be delegating to, to <laughs> and what, what are your plans? uh yeah there's six um, of us now forward. which is good that's up from two at the start of the year so that's you know still not very big but a lot bigger than we were yeah um i think um that my dream is to be able to be that farm provocateur a bit more. I feel like I, I have a, it's funny because we were talking earlier about putting ourselves out there and being a bit provocative. What I've been asking for our leaders of healthcare organizations, particularly pharma companies to do for years 
is to put themselves out there. Mm. Uh, and they're actually starting to, to do it, starting to take off the mask, as I call it. Um, but it's really only very recently. And to sort of show that human side, to talk about the future, pharma company leaders only ever talk about the present or the past. I'm not sure if you've noticed. Uh, and to actually get out there and inspire people. We, we work theoretically in the most emotive industry of all, right? Why is it that an Elon Musk who's building cars and, uh, you know, power cells and, and, and you know, actually quite tunnels underground and actually quite boring stuff has been able to capture the imagination why is it a tech company that started out selling books can inspire us with talks of delivering packages by by a drone and you know by the way that was six years ago has anyone been delivered the package by drone no but it doesn't bloody matter does it because it got you thinking and it got you thinking oh this amazon company is quite futuristic and and forward thinking isn't it we need people to work in healthcare and talk about the possibilities of healthcare, the possibility, the ideas, and, and all of that, that, that good stuff. I've been shouting at healthcare leaders to do it. Of course, they're safety first. They don't want to stick their head above the parapet. Uh, now I've kind of realized I kind of just have to do it myself. It almost sort of um, do it and, and, and leave a sort of path behind me for others to sort of do it, do it uh, in my wake, as it were. Uh, and potentially much more effectively than I can, because, you know, I don't run a big company. So, you know, who the hell am I? Whereas if they stand up and say something, it can be a lot more meaningful. I, I just think that, um, well, I actually look at um, Pfizer when they released their um, vaccine. I actually think they did it in a very good way because they did it in a very human way. They, they, the, the, the CEO got up and they, and yeah, and people, the news almost came out via social media and individual employees rather than by press release. Mm. Um, and that's what I think drove a strong take-up of the vaccine um, when it came out, come out. You know, if it had been done in this typical, very opaque, you know, um, press release, uh, dry black ink kind of way, then I don't think we would have had as much of a, an impact. Uh, and uh, anyway, I think that other companies that didn't um, release the uh, vaccines in a stronger way haven't had as much um, uh, take-up. Uh, so I do think that the way in which we communicate, the way in which we harness the emotional range that is you know at our disposal is is something that is necessary so when you ask me what i want to do in the future i want to be able to um have a very capable team that can execute uh, under the principles that i'm designing mm -hmm. but for me personally to be able to spend a bit more time looking externally at the world instead of internally at my own little fiefdom uh, and, and and just sort of Get in everyone's grills, <laughs> basically. Be that provocateur. You, you said you said a couple of really really pertinent things. And at the beginning of this conversation, you were talking about how you disrupt disrupt with predictions and you make predictions. What's the difference in your mind? I'm just curious. What's the difference between making predictions and manifesting? Namely, saying what you're going to do and making it happen. Because it sounds like what you're describing there is really that pharma need to disrupt themselves, that the external messages need to be stronger and more future-proofed, or at least future-headed, rather than in the safe now state that, <clears throat> excuse me, that they tend to tend to center around. That, that tends yeah. to be in their safe zone, doesn't it? I think there's this strange idea that whatever you say in pharma, you've got to be able to prove that you can do. I have this thing, I call it the four A's. Uh, it starts with ambition. So the more ambitious your idea is in the beginning, then the more attention it actually garners. Mm -hmm. You know, if you say you're going to put a man on the moon as, as people did in the 70s, that was a very interesting thing. The world's media rushed to it. If you say you're going to cut carbon emissions by 50% or some big ambitious number, then the world's media rushed to that. To that. And, you know, you get the sort of uh, Greta Thunberg's appearing of the world. So the ambition drives the attention. And then the attention actually drives the accountability. Um, once you've got everyone staring at you, you can't just fade into the shadows. Um, and then that's obviously that accountability is what drives the action at the end of the day. Wow. So if you think about, you know, I referred to someone like Elon Musk um, earlier. Um, he obviously gets out there and says outlandish stuff about how we would, he'd like to get a man on the moon, uh, on, on Mars within a time frame that all of us go what uh you know he wants to 
you know, do all sorts of things. And whether he succeeds or fails, and he does fail a lot of the time, it attracts that attention, it attracts that accountability. And, um, you know, he doesn't get away with it every time. We've seen him, you know, on the wrong side of the news a lot, but his share price is doing pretty well. So, you know, uh, it's not like he hasn't attracted a lot of um, positive attention on that front, people willing to buy into his ideas. And then, you know, that's what drives the, the action. So Elon Musk famously does not have a marketing department. Why? Because he starts with the ambition and that naturally draws the attention. So he doesn't need one. Um, so I'd love a pharma company to, to, to put something out there that they don't know if they're going to necessarily achieve. You know, Jeff Bezos doesn't know he's going to get drones out there. It hasn't happened. He wow. still said it. But every, every clinical trial starts with a synopsis, with a, this is what we want to achieve. And yet, I think they're within those confines that we've spoken about, aren't they? You know, we're, we're not we're not aiming for the moon. We're saying right now, you know, in, in the in the context of COVID, for example, we want as many people to be vaccinated as quickly as possible to reduce transmissibility of COVID and also yeah. to reduce hospitalizations and ultimately deaths as a result of COVID. Mm. I think coming back to that point though, is that enough? It doesn't sound like you think that's enough, but but actually, if we if we look in the in the context of what's been achieved by the pharma industry in the last year to eighteen months, that's been an absolute total yeah. mindset shift, hasn't it? It's been a paradigm shift in the time that we've, you know, that we've experienced this. I, I've seen a drug come to market and be in my arm, two jabs mm -hmm. in my arm, in the period of time that I never ever would have anticipated. I've worked on trials, and it's taken. 10 years, 10 yeah. years before those drugs have come to market. And, you know, when people asked me when I thought there would be a vaccine in our arms, I was saying two or three years at the very best. I yeah. couldn't and even that was, um, and uh, that was a, a push. <laughs> yeah. and, and here's the thing. In that last period of 18 months, I'm actually working on those vaccines now. I could never mm. have anticipated that opportunity and be at that forefront where it never existed before, you mm. know, there are extraordinary opportunities, but as, as, as I say, coming back to that disrupting piece, it is, wow, look at what we're doing now as a, as a humanity. We're in the greatest clinical trial that's ever been. Yeah. And here absolutely. we are. Now, yeah, I don't want to sort of um, equate the incredible performance of all the science that's been done with just a sort of, um, you know, saying it from a sort of almost PR point of view. It's obviously a far more than that, but... I think that the very, you know, if you look at what um, some of the leaders of, of the organizations that did succeed, actually, uh, if you sort of watch the documentaries, read the sort of transcripts of, of, of meeting minutes that are sort of being released now, yep. you can see that this was a sort of conversation they were having, you know, why, why can't we do it? And, you know, why can't we run things in parallel just because we've never done it before? Yeah. Necessity is the mother of, of invention. And, uh, you know, when you've got a gun held against your head, you will do extraordinary things quite potentially. Now, I don't think that's necessarily a modus operandi for running a business. We should not be, you know, forcing people into, you know, horrible situations where they've got to perform in that kind of way. But we definitely have to find ways of, um, being more imaginative by stating more ambitious goals. That is definitely for sure. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's why you've hit the sweet spot. The sweet spot is now because people are changing and people's mindsets are changing and you've identified that and you're acting upon it and yeah. you're recognizing it and calling it for what it is. I don't think science has ever been in this place before. And I don't think it will ever be the same again because of the transformations that we've experienced. And this is only in one particular area. When people put their heads together, we can get a cure for cancer in a year if we needed to. This is what it shows to me. And I'm sure it does to you as well. You know, we can put our minds to some incredible things when academics, pharma and R&D work together under one umbrella where there isn't necessarily profit being the only outcome or the primary outcome. There is something extraordinary that can be created. And I think you've absolutely hit it at the right time because yeah. by the sounds of it, you're asking the questions that people should be asking themselves anyway, because yeah. we, we, you know, we've got a different rule book now. The old one's been chucked away, hasn't it? It's going to be Thankfully, interesting yes. to watch, isn't it, Adam, with, with Paul and inpatient health, I, th I think. Definitely well, I mean, you say, you know, I'm in the right place doing the right thing. Again, I kind of feel like I'm scratching the surface. To me, 
It's just so much unfulfilled. I mean, look at it. We've, the world has suddenly become aware of the clinical trial and drug development process. There is now probably a significant portion of people who think it's a good idea to support medical research that otherwise wouldn't have crossed their radar. How are we taking advantage of that right now? I don't think we are. You know, we're, we've all been turned on to the idea of climate change that we shouldn't just, you know, dump chemicals in the middle of a, uh, you know, a, a beautiful scenic environment. We shouldn't just throw away stuff on the ground willy nilly. We should, we, you know, we need to be good citizens by being aware of climate change. Why aren't we being good citizens also by contributing to medical research? How does a member of the public contribute their personal data to uh, getting the next uh, series of vaccines or the next series of medicines. There's currently no convenient way. You've got patients willing to give their data. You've got researchers who desperately need that data. And you've got people who are willing to fund it. Yet somehow that triangle of people can't be brought together in a convenient way still, uh, despite everything we've just said. And it's just so wasteful today. You know, how much money is spent trying to identify patients to take part in a, a clinical trial and, and, and keep them on board? It's stupendous. Uh, so, you know, I see, I see our, converse, our, our um, problems as only just starting to get solved. This is early days. I actually think generally pharma is a young industry, not a mature one at all. Um, we haven't even evolved as companies. Most pharma companies are pretty much the same. Okay, that started to change a little bit recently, but 10 years ago, you couldn't, you could swap the logos and they'd look exactly the same, right? Uh, so, so, you know, we are immature. You know, if you think of the wide variety of species in, in this sort of widening habitat of, of, of possibility, we, uh, we have a lot of evolving to do. Impressive to hear all of your insights, Paul. Um, and that I know that I'm going to be, I guess, following yourself uh, and the business uh, to see <laughs> weird and wonderful things you come out with. But look, we've reached the point of, of the show. Um, a quick fire round for you. Um, just to get a couple of insights about, about you, your thoughts, the man behind the, the tagline, uh, I guess. So look... Um, <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll kick us off here. Look, what is, uh, I would say, the number one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Um, it's probably something around um, being willing to sort of trust others and, and, and be willing to um, get, ask for help, quite simply. Um, I think I, I, I try to do things on my own far too much and I don't um let others in almost and I think this is not just a business thing this is a this is a life thing and almost being willing to share my life uh, uh, a little bit more and, and and being sort of a you know someone told me when I was very when I was a teenager if you if you rely on other people for your happiness you know if you need them to sort of compliment you everywhere you go whatever it is then you'll never be truly happy and I, I still believe that, but I also believe that you should be willing to share and trust other people. Otherwise, you're not going to have a life in the first place. So, so that's that's probably something I'd try and teach myself. Don't take that piece of advice about, um, you know, almost sort of closing off uh, other people's opinions. I took that one too much to heart, if you like. So, yeah. Good advice. Good advice. I'll follow on. Um, we've talked about podcasts. We've talked about other resources, but we we would love to know you know what books are you reading right now and where do you find your motivators what would yeah, you recommend yeah. to the audience about the books that you're reading what's on your bookshelf right now what is on my bookshelf far too much uh, as a as you can probably imagine lots of unread stuff um i when you go it's funny when you think of what's the what's the the, the book i'd recommend it would be i i come back to this book that i I don't recommend to everyone, but I think it's very interesting. You've probably heard of it. It's called Power or the 48 Laws of Power. And it's, it's the most ruthless and frightening book of advice that you could ever be given. It's, it's funny because all the examples, you know, when you, when you read a modern book, it talks about sort of business or life and they give you examples of where mm. someone's, you know, maybe lost a bit of money or lost their job. And this, this one tends to use examples from sort of medieval era. So whenever something goes somewhere wrong, inevitably someone gets beheaded or, 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 or several thousand people lose their lives or something like that. So it's, um, it's not for the faint hearted. 
It's got chapters like Crush Your Enemy Totally and How to Create a Cult-like Following and, you know, Never Outshine the Master and all this kind of uh, stuff that could be used for both good and bad. It describes itself as amoral um, as a book, so you could use it. So that's why I don't recommend it to everybody. I wouldn't certainly want some people getting their hands on this that's, book. That's but, certainly um, pro provocative. I would yeah, say. It's, from, uh, from a prov provocateur, that's provocative. It's probably that's a book that I might come say. back to like every sort of two or three years and relook at again <laughs> as a sort of source of inspiration. So I yeah, like there even, you go. Even the book recommendation. <laughs> admitting that it's Marmite, you're either going to love it or you're going to make it, it's not bread well. Look, he's, he's, you'll, you'll probably all love it, but feel a bit sick for it uh, <laughs> afterwards is, is how I feel. You know, it's, it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely, um, it's like watching a horror, it's like loving a, a zombie movie or something like that. You, you, you feel a bit sort of <laughs> questioning of your own sense of uh, morality afterwards if you do enjoy it, but there you go. It's, right. uh, it's definitely an interesting read. Like it, I like it. I love Thank following a trend on, on that one, Paul. But look, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's another recommendation, probably. There's a guy called Scott Galloway who I listen to a lot on the podcasts. I think he's um he's he's one of the people that I uh, listen to, and, and I mentioned earlier that that mm. you know he's one of those people that makes me feel tame in in what I do to uh, approach the farmer industry. Good stuff. Perfect. Thank you. Look, I guess in terms of following trends and and you know being yourself. Um, as you say, one of the ambitions is to now actually grow the business, release some of that work that you are hoarding and, you know, driving yourself crazy with by the sounds of things at that point. Um, but look, what are the, the top three qualities that you value most when, when looking to build your team? I think um, authenticity, or as I probably prefer to put it, don't be fake. I just find that most people are fake in... Mm -hmm. so many aspects of their lives um james you'll experience it when people go for interviews i find that the people that put on the front and who almost try the hardest are the least trustworthy this goes right back to exactly what i was saying about being more human and a bit more ambitious and inspirational in how we talk about pharma so mm -hmm. i try to sort of project that internally as well i'm i am myself i've got nothing to hide um my aim is to be you know as normal as i can it's actually my approach to lots of stuff. When I moderate a, 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 a public webinar or, or a session, mm. I just act normally. When I speak on a web uh, on a podcast, I hope I act <laughs> pretty normally as well. And hopefully it's refreshing. I think yeah, yeah. I, for me, I, I value that. Massively. I just don't understand why people put up a front because uh, as humans, we've evolved to sort of <laughs> work with people who are who sort of tessellate with us the best, who sort of you know act act in the same way we do. So. That's definitely one of the top three, if not top one. Um, I think that's 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 absolutely key. Second thing I think is probably more more advice for farmer than it is necessarily just advice myself. But look outside of your own four walls. I just find that people try to get inspired by looking at a blank sheet of paper. It doesn't work like that. You have to go and expose yourself, experience stuff. You know, you never, you never even know what career you want unless you've tried a few things in, in life and, and, and don't expect to find the answer straight away either. Just, you know, I, as I said, I used to work as a, as a designer uh, or at least want to be a designer. Mm. And I used to read all these books about where to get good ideas. And it's all about just putting yourself in different situations uh, and being willing to sort of do that. So get out there is, is uh, another important value, I think. Great stuff. Uh, <laughs> we might we might push you for one more because you've, you've you've given us. Yeah, I feel like I've been talking I've, way too much. I've, I've got a very good <laughs> sense of, of what you what you look for there, and I think the differences of experiences probably again it's a little bit out there. When I recruit people, normally want people just like themselves. So I think that that one is yeah again out of the box, and and, and I like it. Um, but look, Adam, I'll, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, I mean, well, you, you talked you talked about authenticity, and I think throughout this whole conversation, you've been entirely authentic, Paul, because it's not as if you said one thing and done another. You are completely consistent in everything that you said, from from the book choices. I don't, choices think, I, I don't to... think I've got the brain power to sort of run two <laughs> different narratives. Uh, I know, <laughs> and I certainly don't. So, so again, again, that really that really resonates. You'd be true to yourself and you'll be true to everyone and yeah i don't i don't tell tell porky pies for, for the same reason because i can't mm. remember what i can't remember uh, <laughs> i'm just not that i'm just not that smart um the, the the other question we had for you was um what do you do when you're not working by the sounds of it you're working quite a lot but what is it 
what is it yeah, that, ter- uh, is, terrible is your motivation at the weekend I'm terrible at differentiating between work and life I've got to be honest um so so yeah that's pretty bad what do I really enjoy doing I I um I get a lot of inspiration from music I was actually a musician for the most of my life piano player and and wow. you know I've always surrounded myself with musicians for some reason so I enjoy so a, lot of, a lot of that stuff yeah uh, it's not through it's not through trying it's just just natural it's just natural again you know and I talked about design I've been obsessed with design since I was 10 years old okay I was a weird teenager I admit it um I don't know why but I've always been interested um so I kind of I I like to renovate properties which sounds very strange because it's a weird hobby to have it's a very expensive hobby as you can imagine I borrow I have spent a lot of my life borrowing a lot of money from from people who have money (laughs) in order to fulfill this this particular hobby I love like um turning a a wreck into something you know amazing uh, and ironically as soon as it's done I'm bored I walk away <laughs> right <laughs> like if I've done it to my own house I then move house at that point when it's done so uh, yeah I've got a strange mentality of, of of wanting to sort of do the work and then get bored when it's done so yeah I don't know some people would say that everything I've mentioned so far is just another form of work I think I'm a little bit sad if I'm honest um but yeah um I like going for long walks um I like I'm not much of a traveler but I love sort of the wilderness and uh I grew up in Norway so I love the whole lakes and mountains sort of thing which part of Norway uh I was actually in the south down a city called Stavanger but of course the great thing about Norway is you can drive to a ski slope or a you know you, you can get into the crazy you know mountainous areas within an hour of of the city so uh i guess that's probably i'll, I'll probably never retire but if i do it'll probably be somewhere like that <laughs> we could we could have a whole different conversation about scandinavia because i've oh, also right. spent quite a bit of time there as well but oh, nice. I'll, I'll 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 pass on to james because i think he wants to <laughs> he, he wants to tie up with it with our last question i think sure. yeah i guess to, to wrap things up paul um I'm pretty i'm sure i know the answer um, look, <laughs> why don't you tell me first then <laughs> number one golden rule in life and business and i think i could sum it up it probably begins with an a but <laughs> well it's either ambition authenticity or you know it's one of my four a's that i said before basically or there, it's, or there it's we authenticity go. I, was, I was thinking it was authenticity so uh you know what the funny thing is i've never I've never thought about it before, uh, and it's almost I needed this conversation to figure it out. So, so I'm very grateful to you guys for for helping me get there. You know, Uh, now I'm almost like, oh yeah, maybe it is. Sometimes we just need to talk these things through because, of course, as soon as it goes from here to our ears, it goes into our brain and it becomes embedded. And and what you've described, I think, is exactly that. You know, it's it's the speaking it and making it a thing. And that's mm-hmm. that's exactly what you've brilliantly described, I think, today. Because you, yeah, you know, you I, I want to make it clear that I'm not doing, I'm not <laughs> saying authenticity though, because it's the morally right thing to do. I'm not trying to be all holier than thou. I think it's, I think I'm saying <laughs> it because of other reasons that it actually gets you through life in so many other ways. That, that I think I think now that we, now now we're talking and and the more people are talking and I didn't touch on this earlier but actually what's interesting is presumably the majority of the work that you're doing right now is remote so you're not even seeing the people that you're working with so there has to be a level of authenticity that was never there before because if you can't connect in this manner then you won't be able to connect when you're in the real room with those people and there will be a different energy in the room won't there exactly I think you um it's the same sorry to go back to our industry farmer but um obviously getting patient input is really key in so much of what we do. Mm. Uh, And if you don't have a more authentic way of communicating with those patients when you do, then you're never going to get the full range of understanding. So, you know, if we're talking through only a Zoom lens, you don't get to observe people in their real lives anymore. Uh, You've just got a very small window. And so if you can break down barriers with authenticity and just being yourself, basically, then you're going to get a much better understanding and response in the first I'm, place. I'm, I'm pointing here and here because yeah. that's my authentic self. That's what there I get go. up for in the morning. There you go. <laughs> and that's you put my it in your video screen as well, which is fantastic. You know, that's there a great icebreaker. So, yeah. 
you're a human. That's my authenticity, but I absolutely, it absolutely renovate, uh, re renovates, resonates. <laughs> absolutely. <I've> got <laughs> you got renovation on my mind now. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Well, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, on the show. And yeah, no uh, for anyone who wants to reach out to you, as I say, I, I could barely avoid you on, on, on LinkedIn, but what's the best place to get hold of you? Probably on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I, I, um, you can also send me an email, paul at impatient.health if you, if you wish. But yeah, LinkedIn's probably the, the easiest. So, so go there. Great stuff. Well, look, thanks again for joining us on the Hugsley Morton podcast. Have been a pleasure, guys. Thank you for, yeah. for the, yeah, thank you for the invite. It's been great fun. Good stuff. Thank you.